When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you are here. We do this uh, most every week. Rare is the week that we are not here. Uh, And uh, we do this at uh, noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern. If you're watching the archive and you're wondering, when can I catch that live? If you'll go ahead and subscribe to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, you'll actually get an alert every time the Bible study goes live in case uh, you get caught up and don't know what's going on. And you think, I could do that on Wednesdays uh, when it actually happens. Uh, But we also archive uh, archive it for you every uh, Wednesday so you can catch it on your own time, either here on the YouTube channel or you can catch the audio-only archive on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Some things we need to know before we get started. Of course, this Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. That is a men's discipleship strategy that uh, we put together. This Bible study was part of the research that went into that when it started um, almost nine years ago. We're we're about to complete our eighth year uh, doing this Bible study. There's men in the room every week, and of course, uh, men and women watch uh, around the world here on these uh, different platforms. Want to make you aware of a, of a biggie coming up in 2023, February the 24th and 25th, the first ever Man Church Conference. Uh, this is designed for high challenge, high equipping, and fellowship all in the same conference. And uh, we'll have some of our teachers there. Uh, Andy Blanks, who uh, he and I do the, do the curriculum together, he'll be there teaching. He'll do a session. I'll do two sessions. Rich Wingo, uh, another member of our team, He'll be speaking uh, at the Man Church Conference. And then we'll have a special guest, Recap Gray, young pastor that'll be coming in, uh, coming uh, from Orlando. He'll be speaking. You can research and find out about his great ministry. You'll love him. And Chuck Hooten will be leading worship all weekend, another great worship leader. You're going to love Chuck and his style, the way that he goes about it. Now, the seats, unlike a lot of men's conferences, our seats are actually reserved. Uh, So the good news about that, is you don't have to worry about it. Once you get your tickets for your group or for yourself or maybe you and your son or you and a friend, whoever's going, once you get your tickets, then you don't have to worry about that again over the weekend. You always have those seats for the entire weekend. You don't have to you know, show up on Friday trying to get off work and I'm trying to get there an uh, hour and a half before the doors open so I can get a good seat. And then i got to get up early on Saturday morning, run over from the hotel so I get, get another good seat. Once you get your seats, you got them. All the seats are good. It's about a 1,100-seat theater, the Performing Arts Center in Oxford, Alabama, which is my hometown. We thought, let's let's take it to, to Rick's hometown. I'm honored to do that. My, my little town is so excited. I say little. It's not little anymore, but uh, it's actually a thriving town. Oxford, Alabama, located almost directly at the halfway mark between Birmingham and Atlanta. So it's a good central location. Uh, the people of Oxford, Alabama, they will be tremendous hosts for you. Uh, I mentioned fellowship. We'll definitely be hanging out, but we also have got designed with your tickets. You get to go to big time entertainment uh, sometime, anytime you want to do it during the weekend. Probably the best times to do it after the conference is over uh, after lunch on um, on Saturday. And you and your men can actually go out and have a good time at big time entertainment too as part of your ticket. You'll get a discount uh, on anything that you want to do that day. Uh, so we thank them for that. So if you want to find out more, go to themanchurch.com. Go ahead and get your tickets. Be done with that, and then we'll see you there. Now, you will also receive a request if you're in leadership at your church uh, or maybe you lead one of the small groups that uh, doing our curriculum, you'll get an email, and it'll ask you, do you want to come to the breakfast on Saturday morning before our sessions start? Uh, I'll be there. Andy Blanks will be at the breakfast. Uh, Michael Helms uh, from the Rick and Bubba Show. Greg Burgess from the Rick and Bubba Show. Uh, they'll be there, and they'll be answer- we'll be networking, answering any questions you might have about um, you know ways you can implement our curriculum. Hey, we'd like to to ask other churches what they're doing. We'll network a little bit at that breakfast. We need to know you're coming to that. Doesn't cost anything, uh, just so we can make sure we have enough food for everybody. But that that will come in a separate email. So be aware of that. Uh, but go right now to the man. 
thegrandchurch.com. And uh, we're really excited about our first ever conference coming up in 2023 in Oxford, Alabama, the weekend of February 24 and 25th. Also, some man churches. Uh, these are men's services that are going on this week, uh, this Sunday night, the 23rd of October. Rich Wingo will be in Warrior, Alabama. He'll be speaking at Crossroads Church as they continue our men's discipleship strategy. I will be at the church at Liberty Park, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, coming up this Sunday night. Uh, we'll be there. That is a ticketed uh, service because they're going to serve dinner, and they need to know that you're coming. So be sure and let them know that you are coming uh, there in Birmingham, Alabama. That's over in the Vestavia Hills area uh, at Liberty Park, so the church at Liberty Park. And then November 4th, uh, my home church, Valleydale, we're having – we got, what, 18 guys, Tom? About 18 guys going to be cooking 18 different chili recipes, 20 now? 20 different chili recipes. Uh, you can be there. Will you get a bowl of chili or two uh, before we have the service that night? Uh, Rich Wingo will be speaking there. If you've never heard Rich, he's my dear friend, and man, you are going to love hearing this man teach the Word of God. And then we'll give you an opportunity to get into the curriculum if you'd like to. We have about eight different uh, groups that are doing uh, the second. I mean, the, the first curriculum, The Pursuit Now, uh, it's our second year at Valleydale, and we'd love for you to be there with us in Birmingham. And all you got to do is just go to Valleydale's website, find the event, the Men's Chili Cook-Off, and register that you're coming. Uh, November 5th, Crestview, Florida, Mark Garnett will be there at First Baptist Church Crestview as they continue through the strategy. This will be their next Man Church. You can find all those at themanchurch.com under events. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump in today. We continue our walk through the book of Genesis. We'll be in Genesis 41 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your teaching. I pray, Lord, that you continue to be with every man represented in this room, the families that are represented, and I pray, Lord, that you be with those that are watching and listening uh, around the country and even, Lord, uh, around the world. I pray that you will be glorified and that your Holy Spirit will pierce our hearts as our hearts will open to hear what your Word teaches. In your name we pray, amen. So when we get to uh, Genesis 41, we've been walking through the book of Genesis. We're now in our 10th month. Uh, you're going to see this has been two years since uh, last Wednesday when we talked about here's Joseph. Uh, he did the right thing in Potiphar's house. Everywhere he goes, he, he's, he's working in such a way that God is honoring him. He always is given responsibility. He's always trusted by those that he is serving. Uh, but he did the right thing by, by not giving in to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Uh, this ended up getting him put in jail. He helps uh, the cupbearer in jail. He actually helps the baker too, but the baker's news not as good. Uh, but the, the cupbearer heard from Joseph about this dream that he had. So God's establishing that Joseph has been given the ability by the power of God to interpret dreams and interpret them correctly. And, and Joseph will clarify who's actually interpreting the dreams today. And so the cupbearer, he says, hey, you're going to go back to your position. Uh, the king's going to take you out of jail. When you get there, don't forget me uh, and tell him I shouldn't be here uh, and help me get out. Uh, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, it, uh, the last thing that Moses tells us at the end of chapter 40 in the book of Genesis is that the cupbearer forgot about him. So, and now, now I want you to think of this. Two years Joseph has been in jail, and, and, and this is since the cupbearer. He said, don't forget me. So, so God has, has said to Joseph two more years. And, and we talked about last week how sometimes we think to ourselves, does God not hear us? Does God not know the situation that we're in? I mean, I was justified. I love, I've given my life. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've been redeemed by God, and he's, he, he, he has given me a new life. I've been born again. I want to serve God. I'm trying to do the right things, and I'm in a terrible situation here. Does God not know I'm here? And you know what we learned right here uh, again this week? Yes, God knows you're there. He just may leave you. Uh, but, but because he's leaving you in that position, because let me tell you what we take away from this. God is always right. So Joseph thinks he's ready to be let out of jail, but you know what God said? I think two more years, then you'll be ready. Are, are you, do you have the kind of faith? Do I have the kind of faith that I trust God so much that if he leaves me in my situation, even a miserable situation for two years, I love him and I trust him so much, I know that he's doing that for my own good and for his ultimate glory, that he knows what he's doing. Let me tell you what you got to know, though. He's not unaware of it. 
And so Joseph uh, spends two more years uh, in this jail. So make a note of that. So let's look at verses 1 through 4 as uh, Moses says that. After two whole years, uh, I, love, I love that Moses, Moses gives us that detail. I mean, I'm not just calling it two years. It was two full years uh, that Joseph has stayed in jail since he thought he was going to be delivered. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. All right, so that's let's, let's get the details. First of all, the Nile, um, when in the Egyptian culture, it's not an exaggeration to say that the Nile was life to them. It represented life. The Nile provided for them, and they worshipped the Nile. Uh, uh, cows were commonly grazing on the reeds along uh, the Nile. So this vision he sees in his dream was quite familiar uh, to him. Now, the, the cows also, you know, the Egyptians, they worshipped everything. They had all kinds of gods, and one of them actually was, was presented as a cow, uh, Hathor, uh, this is Egypt, Egyptian deity, and it was a cow. Uh, and boy, they sometimes when they were like, with the, they would take these gods and they would just assign all things to it. Hathor was the goddess of joy, music, dance, uh, also feminine love, fertility, uh, and and many times um, uh, they would also um, uh, look at it as representing motherhood. Uh, and, and also representing uh, the foreign lands uh, that uh, that they hope to to uh, to conquer. Uh, so after the dream, it tells us that Pharaoh uh, woke up. So he he was asleep, uh, and and so that he gets he gets the second part of a dream. But Moses wants us to know that that he did wake up after the cows. Have you ever done that? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been dreaming and wake up? And you're so sleepy, you go back to sleep and pick the dream back up. Have you ever done that? It's kind of weird when that happens, uh, but it's happened to me many times. Uh, and, and the dream will just continue. Well, that happens here because look at verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7, And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. Uh, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Have you ever been dreaming something that was so intense you weren't sure if it was real or a dream? By the way, it has nothing to do with our lesson today, just something interesting. Have you ever dreamed that you woke up but you were still dreaming? That's really weird. I've dreamed that I woke up in the dream and come to find out I wasn't awake yet and I was still in the dream. Now, that that's real weird, but... Nothing to do with today's lesson. Just wanted you to know that. Uh, but but anyway, so um, so we 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 see plump uh, here part of the corn and and uh, and and then you know it, it, and this word is kind of odd. Uh, but it, but the reason why we're seeing Moses using this word, uh, this Hebrew word, but we're we're in English saying plump. The reason why you see plump used for corn. And plump also used for the cows. It fits the cows better than it does corn. But he's doing this to indicate to us, studying the word, these two dreams go together. They're connected. It's not. It's. It may be two separate analogies, but it's the same point that God is trying to make. They go together. Uh, and uh, and so um, when you look at um, at verse eight, look what happens next. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called, and I would underline this if you're in, you got your Bible or you're making notes. He called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. All's important here. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, why, why am I telling you to underline all? Well, it, it's clear that when he woke up, he didn't like what he saw. He he knew there was something bad about this dream, um, and, and it shows how troubled he was. He didn't say, go gather me a few magi uh, magicians and find me a wise man. He said, give me everybody. I want everybody on this. 
Have you ever watched some of these um, shows or maybe some of you worked in, in law enforcement or maybe some of you run a company? Uh, and If you've been in, in a place of authority before, let's admit when you say go get everybody on this, that's different than saying put somebody on this, right? When we're putting everybody on it, I mean, we got big problems. I, I, I want to I get to the, the, the bottom of this. Some of you even today may be on your phone saying I need everybody on this. But anyway, so so when uh, when we're when 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 they get there, uh, it's very similar. Make a note in your your notes are there in the margin of your Bible to go look at Daniel two verse three. This is going to feel a lot like Nebuchadnezzar when he was troubled by a dream. As a matter of fact, the same exact word in Hebrew is being used here that is used with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. It's, it's the same concern about a dream, God speaking to them in a dream. So he called all of them, and that's how serious it was. But it also helps us to get to Joseph, doesn't it? Because I have exhausted everybody I got, and none of them can do it. So I need to go to something else. You see how God works? So so Because if any of them had said, I'll take a shot at it, and uh, he might have believed it, and Joseph still stay in jail. So this is God, once again, our sovereign God, our perfect God, the God that is overseeing everything. He is orchestrating this scenario that it's now time for Joseph to get up out of the jail. But what, what's, what's the key for Joseph? Be ready. He, and, and, and so now Joseph's about to find out. Why, you know, if you just looked at this and you didn't know anything, you'd go, why in the world is God fooling with him interpreting dreams of a cupbearer and a baker? Well, to establish that he can interpret dreams. Uh, why is he seeing a dream when he's back at home with his brothers? And, and why is he walking around talking about God speaking to him in dreams? For this. I mean, he's now getting him to this moment because this is going to be the moment that starts the process of him being elevated to the place of power that God told him when he was 17 he was going to be. You see it all working? We serve quite a God, don't we? And, and it's about time we start trusting him with our lives because I th- he, know, he knows what he's doing. You know, I don't know why we always question what, where he's taking us. I mean, don't you have don't you have faith in God that He knows what He's doing, even if you don't like what He's doing? Don't you have faith that He knows what He's doing? I think about my sweet wife. I don't always like what He does, but I can't argue with His results. I don't like the way He does it every time, but I'm stupid and He's not. Okay, so so, but I sure can't argue with His results. Rick, you don't know the situation I'm in. He does. Well, I I don't know why I'm in this situation. He does. What is he doing? We'll see. You just trust him. And then one day you might look around and go, and sometimes he tells you to do what he says to do, and you may not understand it until you get in heaven and stand in front of him, and you go, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now. Uh, but uh, so, so, so now let's look at verses 9 through 13. Then the chief's cupbearer said to Pharaoh, hey, where, where have you been? What does it take for you to remember this guy interpreting your dream? What did it take? Pharaoh having a dream. Oh, wait a minute. I admit, as I get older, these moments happen a lot more where you need something to prompt you and jar you. You go, oh, I forgot to tell you something. Two years, I forgot to tell you something. This just reminded me what I forgot to tell you. You ever had that experience? I have it all the time. Something to jar you and and remember something that you meant to tell. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember – my offenses today. I remember when you put me down in the jail. This this dreams reminded me of this because I had a dream uh, that was telling me what I was if I was ever going to get out. Ten. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief uh, baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, I think I would have been a little leery about bringing up the chief baker, but he did. He said he said, "Hey, you remember you threw both of us down there? You got mad at us." And, uh, and and while I was down there, uh, we dreamed on the same night, me and the, the captain of, of the guard, uh, I mean, I told the captain of the guard when we were in his house being watched by him, me and the chief baker, we, we dreamed that same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. Now here, come, here comes Joseph. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When, when we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. 
And, and as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office. And by the way, you might remember the baker was hanged. And you know Pharaoh, he hung so many people. He might not, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Uh, so, I mean, because, you know, they, 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 these dictators, they'd kill people so often. Like I said, they would do it just because it was their birthday. And, um, and, and so, um, so now the cupbearer is remembering and uh, what he forgot to say uh, to Pharaoh, and, and he tells the story. Uh, and um, he, he also uh, makes sure that he, re- he lets him know, Pharaoh, because you don't want to have bad information. You don't want Joseph to come walking up. He goes, you sit for a Hebrew? He says, you know, he, he's a Hebrew slave, and I'm telling you, uh, he can interpret dreams because he got mine right. He told me I was going to be restored. I have. And he got the cup. He got the baker right, too, because you hung him, and that's what he said was going to happen. And, and, and look, at, look at 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly, I'd underline quickly, brought him out of the pit. And, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, when he heard this, he moved quick. He 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 didn't, um, you know. He 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 moved so quickly, and and they got Joseph and said, "Look, don't go stand before Pharaoh with your Hebrew beard and all that. Let's get you." The Egyptians were cleanly shaven, so you, they shaved his beard. They got him. They got him presentable. But listen to the here comes a foreshadowing. The Bible excites me so much. I hope it does you, because remember that Joseph. Is he's a type of Christ, and we have these throughout the, the the Old Testament, a foreshadowing of Jesus. So when the time was right, in God's perfect timing, Pharaoh quickly and look at the phrase that Moses uses, inspired by God. Joseph was delivered from the pit. Who takes us up out of the pit? Jesus. Delivers him from the pit and takes him out of what? Bondage. Jail. And he brings him, and what else does he do? They clean him up. Do y'all hear all this? Do y'all hear the gospel in this? This is very, very important. So um, so they, they bring him presentable before what? The king. Do y'all hear that? Joseph was delivered from the pit, was cleaned up where he would be presentable before the king. And in the Egyptian culture, it didn't get any bigger than Pharaoh. But in order to come before the king, he had to be made presentable. Righteous. Foreshadowing of the gospel. That really excites me. All right, so 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 he calls for him quickly, uh, fifteen and sixteen. So Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I've have I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it." Big moment coming up. Big big moment coming up. This is where we got to watch ourselves. How many times in this Bible study have we said this truth? God will not share his glory with anyone. He certainly won't share it with us. Okay? So now the moment has come. Hey, I hear you're really something. Uh, from what I hear from the cupbearer here, that you're down there and you you have some, because remember, they, they had magicians that could do things. They had wise men. You know about all this. Uh, you know, even when we get to the point, uh, you know, uh, uh, later in the Old Testament, when Moses goes and he's trying to deliver the people, does it did it ever get you that Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake? But so did the magicians. I mean, they could do some. They could do something that didn't come from God, but they could do some black magic. Okay, so the minute he says that to Joseph, all he cares about is that Joseph knows how to interpret dreams. He couldn't care less where it comes from. Because he's a pagan living in a pagan society with gods around every corner and black magic and all this kind of stuff. And Joseph is ready. And what does he say in 16? Here's an underline. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I can't interpret any dreams. God can. 
When I see the dreams and I interpret them, that's because it came from God. I don't have the ability to do it, but the God I serve does. Now, throughout this entire time, what do we keep hearing? Everybody who sees Joseph, they're impressed with the God he serves. It's obvious that he's with God. Now, they, I mean, these people join in and begin to believe in the same God of Joseph. They're just saying, whatever it is he's got, he's got something. Can they say that about you? Can they say that about me? Do they, do they watch us in, in these situations, especially in duress? That's where it really shines, folks. That's why God allows it so much. In duress, the faith is tested, and it either really, really looks real or it really looks fake. It's tested, and, and we see the, the – so everywhere Joseph's going, he keeps getting mistreated, but he keeps on glorifying God. And now he, he comes up – don't forget – don't forget, now this is faith. Joseph is about to glorify the same God that left him in jail. I mean, Joseph's like, I sent this cupbearer up here two years ago. Do you see him whining and complaining about God? Why didn't you do this quicker? No. The minute he gets the opportunity, I understand you can interpret dreams. I can't interpret dreams, but God can. The God I serve will give you, will give you the answer you're looking for. I can't give it to you. And that's all we're supposed to do. I mean, all we're supposed to do is to go out and say, I can't help you, but I can point you to the one who can. I can point you to the one who can because he helped me. There, there, there's uh, The only thing good about anybody who's been justified by Jesus is Jesus. The only thing that is good about those that have been made righteous is the one who is righteous. The best analogy, you've heard me say before, we're nothing but beggars showing the other beggars where the food is. And that's all Joseph is doing right here. God's going to give you the answer because he, why? Because I can't. I don't have the ability to give you the answer. God gives me the ability. It comes from God. Let's be sure that when people see God moving in our lives, that the glory goes to God, not we want people to make a big deal out of us. 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly. By the way, he throws in that. And thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known uh, that they had eaten them. And, and, and for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. So he's recapping it. Now, in the first dream, it's like Pharaoh, you ever been that? You try to make your your story, a, a, you embellish just a little bit. He's throwing a lot of hyperbole with it, but he's basically telling him uh, the, the bottom line on this. And, and he, he starts the conversation saying that he'd been told about him. Uh, Joseph clarifies that God's going to do it, not him. He says, he says to Pharaoh, let's not miss this, God's going to give you a favorable answer. And when he says that, the Hebrew word here is shalom, uh, meaning you're going to get a peaceful answer. Okay, This is going to ensure the welfare of Pharaoh. And what he's really telling Pharaoh is, you're about to get good news, and it's a good thing that God sent me here. I'm going to be a blessing to you from God. It's good that I'm here. Because you're about to get a favorable answer. Now, is he doing this to glorify Pharaoh? He's not. But but he's letting Pharaoh know that the treatment of me is is a treatment of, of the God I serve. And and there's going to be good news. So Pharaoh, you know, he uh he, he knows the dream is bad, and he and he refers to the dreams as a dream, and, and he he does, he says, and then I woke up. And then 22 through 24, he's going to tell him about the second dream. Now, in the second dream, he sticks a little more to the facts. He just kind of—he's almost—I would be this way. I just don't—I don't want to go into the great detail on the second dream like I did on the first. Let me just run this by you. And so, 22 through 24, he does that, and he says, uh, "I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted uh, after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and uh, and 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 I told uh, it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Okay, 
he really kind of nutshells the second dream uh, and, and tells him that. And he says, and I got magicians here, and they can't help me. And uh, so uh, basically, so now you have the floor, Joseph. And Joseph wastes no time uh, in, in 25. He says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. By the way, let me put you all together. Uh, the, the, it, it may it may be two dreams to you, uh, but I'm telling you, it's all one dream, and this one dream is for me to to uh, to tell you what God's about to do. So I got two statements. It's one dream, and the message is going to come from God. God's letting you know now. Now, what is He saying? God's letting you know what's about to happen. God's letting you know what this crazy world is going to do to you. It's out of control. No, he's saying God's going to tell you what he's going to do. Wait a minute, Rick. What are you talking about? So so God causes droughts? Yes. Because he sure can't stop them. Oh, so, th- so, so God's going to do this. He is. Don't his people fare kind of bad in this? They do. And, and Pharaoh's going to be the answer? Yes. Because he's going to put Joseph in the position they told Joseph he was going to be in when he was 17 years old. So, so then he moves into to, uh, to what's going to happen next. God has revealed to you what he, God, is about to do. And that's important. Be sure you underline that. So let's start in 26. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one, 27. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. Uh, It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he, underline that again, is about to do. And then then he nutshells it in 29. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will become unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. 32 is important. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, meaning same point, two dreams, means that the things fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. I wonder who he's suggesting might be good for the job. So, so he's saying, look, let me tell you straight up, God's not going to be talked out of this. It's set. You can get seven years of, of plenty, which will, by the way, he's going to say to me, it's going to have enough for you to prepare. Seven years of plenty, but look, after that seven years, and there's no veering on this, famine's coming, and it will be severe. And God's doubling the stream to show you how serious he is about it, and he's letting you know this is going to happen, and there's nothing you can do as powerful as you think you are there's nothing you can do to stop it. I think about uh, the now late Steve Farrar, who I just love and respect so much. As he said, never, ever, ever say things are out of control because they're all under his control. They're not out of control. They're under his control. Wait a minute, Rick. Will you, what are you talking about? God brings these things on us? Yes. Sometimes for punishment, sometimes for refinement always for glorification of him to remind us where we stand. And then I love Joseph in 33. Now, let Pharaoh select a discerning wise man. I'm not saying who it should be. Set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh to uh, proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. 
that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine, and that they are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. So, have you ever suggested yourself for a job? Now, I'm going to tell you what you're going to need. You're going to need somebody that's wise and discerning, you know, kind of like me, that, uh, that, that is, that's go, you, you got to get a plan. And the plan is in the years of plenty, don't just overindulge and say, I'm going to have thirds and fourths. You take the, the, you're going to have enough to eat, but you better take some surplus and you put it up for the years of famine. By the way, God's teaching us that too. Do we do that? You know, we're, we're not promised anything. Take these things and put them up for the years of famine, and then you're going to be all right. You're going to need some overseers. You're going to need to take one-fifth of it. You need to put some in the storage houses. Let's get the cities covered. And when the famine comes, Pharaoh and his people are going to be fine. You're going to have food. And, but you, you're going to need somebody to oversee this. And at that point, I don't know whether, you know, Joseph said, so I guess I'll head on back to the jail now. I guess that's all you need from me. Uh, so look what happens in 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? And whom is the spirit of God? Hey, we got anybody like this guy who has the spirit of God? Even Pharaoh recognizes this guy is something special. He's got the spirit of God on him. Have we got anybody that matches this Hebrew that could handle this? Here he is again, standing. Do people look, when you and I get the floor, when you and I are put in a situation, when we're put on the platform, the way we handle ourselves, and one of the ways, and you see this with Joseph, you know the one thing that really draws people to God is when the whole world is falling apart, if people would look to us who claim to be justified by Christ and under the authority of the one and only living God who who wins in the end, if they would look at us in times of calamity when the whole world's falling apart and see us standing there quite confident and quite calm, as if we know what's going on, as if we have the Spirit of God. It really draws people to God because you know what they all want. They wish they could feel that way. They wish they had that kind of peace, that kind of confidence. But when they see us falling apart, when things seem uncertain or things don't seem right, you know what they think? Well, that, that's the same thing I'm doing. You know what they would say then? Yeah, we can find a lot of people like him. But when they see the power of God, not us, because we're flawed, we can't do it, but it, when they look and say, this person has a spirit about them that I just think they got it handled. But what we would say, well, God's got it handled. We're just, we just know that. That's all we know, right? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, look how he's pointing Pharaoh to God, and, God, and Pharaoh's buying in. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Now, now this doesn't mean that Pharaoh is ready to become a worshiper of the one and only living God, uh, but he, he is saying that there is something about you and, and the way that you are handling this, I find myself wanting to put you in charge of it. I think you're the guy. And I think you're the guy by the way your God's acting. Now, it wouldn't have been any problem for the Egyptians to say, we'll take your God and add it to all of our gods. I'm not saying they're getting it all right right now, but they are looking at the God that Joseph is serving, and they are saying, your God has shown you all this, and I, I'm going to tell you something, none of these magicians, and I got them all here, and all these wise men, I don't have some of them, I got all of them, that's why that was important, and I look at you, because see, if they all weren't there, do you see how God works? If all the magicians and all the wise men aren't there, what could he say? Well, now these others that didn't come today, they might be as discerning, let me check with them first. No, God made sure that everybody he had had already been spent. And he says, I got them all here, and I'm looking at you, and i got to tell you something, none of them are discerning like you are. And so then he says, you shall be over my house. He goes from Potiphar's house to jail. Now he's going to be put in charge of Pharaoh's house. 
Do you see the rise to power that Joseph is on right now? So when God says he's going to do something, he'll do it, won't he? He says, I, you shall be over my house and all my people, that's in verse 40, uh, shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards, uh, as it go- regards the throne will I be greater than you. He's saying, look, I'm about to make you number two. Now, you, you're not going to be Pharaoh, okay? But you're going to stop right, right before that. And the only thing greater than you is me sitting on this throne. But you are what, what people have to do is whatever you tell them to do. And the only way that that would change is if I overrule you, okay? So he says, and, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. This Hebrew boy who has been sold into slavery, only the God we serve could take this Hebrew boy, have him sold into slavery by his brothers, have him taken off to be a slave, end up in charge of Potiphar's house, resist the temptation of Potiphar's wife. You think that wasn't a test from God? You know why God allowed that test? He wants to see if he could trust him. Then he throws him in jail for innocent. He lets him interpret a dream, and, and then he says, I'm going to leave you here two more years. Why? I want to see if I can trust you. Will you turn on me? That's why he's doing this, guys. Don't you all know this? It's all testing. It's all refinement. How are you and I handling adversity? God wants to know because he wants to know if he can trust us. And Joseph is passing the test. Are you passing the test? Am I passing the test? Can he trust you? Because when we fail, you know what he'll say? Well, I can't send this guy off somewhere because he may end up with somebody's wife. He can't handle himself sexually. He can't stay pure, so I can't use him. Well, every time something goes negative uh, for him, he turns against me. He's mad because I didn't deliver him out of jail yet. I can't use him. He's testing us. He tested Joseph, and Joseph's passing. And he's, 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 he's elevating him to power. Why? Because he can trust him. He can trust him. So he now ends up over all the land of Pharaoh. Unbelievable. He even gets one of these cool signet rings. Look, so I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Pharaoh says, I tell you what, let me give you my signature right here. Let me put this on you. you, you now, anything you want to do, all you got to do is use this signet, sign it, it's gone. Pharaoh putting his ring on a Hebrew. So, uh, so you, you see this taking place. And clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain at his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, not the first, but the second, and the second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. To Joseph. Now I want you to think about that now. Listen to me. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity. This is just something you need to know. How sad will it be for you or me to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on the day of the Bema seat? And we're all going to see the Bema seat. Now, if, if you're redeemed, you're not going to see the judgment seat. But you're going to see the Bema seat. And that is the, what have you done for me? What, what crowns, what rewards do I give you now based on what you did in the flesh after redemption? What if God looks down and says, oh, the things I wanted to do with you. I just couldn't trust you. I, I, I was going to elevate you to places of authority and impact, but I couldn't trust you. I I got no crowns. I got no rewards to give you. You know what? You're justified. You barely got in. You took my grace. You pushed it as far as you possibly could. You did nothing for the kingdom because every time I tested you to see if you could be used, you failed. You're here, but you you won't live here like uh, those that I could trust. I'll tell you that. That's scripture. Th- this concept that everybody's going to live the same way in heaven, that is not a biblical concept. That's something we've come up with to make ourselves feel better. 
about our about, about our ineffectiveness and our laziness and the apath- and the apathetic attitude we have about not of not doing the work of God. We don't have to do the work of God. You don't have to. But you get to. And it matters. Think about Paul. If you don't believe that, think about Paul in the New Testament. We're watching Paul work on his different letters, and some of the letters, what is he saying? I'm straining. I'm not there yet. I'm not where I need to be spiritually. Paul, but I'm headed there. And then Paul gets to the end of his life, and what does he say? I fought the fight. I ran the race. And I will, before the Bema seat, I will receive the crown of righteousness. And so will all who did not fade and were not cowards when it came time to stand for him. He didn't say he was the only one who's going to get it. He said everybody who's not a coward will get it. Think about that when it gets to the end in Revelation 21. Here is Jesus talking about all the things that he has for us and all the things he's going to remove. And the first thing he says on the negative side, he says, but now as for the cowardly, that's a different game. And Joseph had proven that he could be trusted, and now he's riding in chariot number two behind Pharaoh, and the Egyptians are crying out, bow the knee to Joseph. Who are they really bowing the knee to and they don't even know it? The one and only living God. You see that foreshadowing? What did, what, what, what did we hear in Scripture? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Hey, if you're watching this and you're not doing it now, you will. I promise you will. It's coming. But let that be a day of celebration, not a day of dread that you begrudgingly are having your knee forced down and your head forced down and your tongue forced to confess him. Go ahead and do it now so on that day we do it willingly and joyfully. We've been acknowledging it. So then it says, uh, he, thus he set him over the land of Egypt, 44, moreover, Pharaoh said, to, I love Moses, said, and I, wait a minute, there's more. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name. Now, this is, this is kind of hard to pronounce, and it gets a little, nobody really knows what to do with it. I read a, a number of commentaries on this. Uh, Zephineth, and then it's um, uh, Paniya. So it's uh, Phineth Pania. Now, I started looking at this name that Pharaoh gets him and uh, gives him, and there's no theologian that says, I think I got it. They're all like, we're not real sure what this name means. Uh, but the best guess is uh, that, it, that it means um, God speaks and lives. Most said, you know, that seems to make the most sense since he's going here, everybody's bowing to him, these people, and that the name he gave him was not that Pharaoh's deciding this is the only God, but he thinks that Joseph's God that he serves speaks and clearly is alive because of the things Joseph is able to do. So theologians finally kind of almost say, well, we're not overly confident that's what it means, but that seems to make the most sense. But there's a lot of debate on what this new name means. But apparently God doesn't really care um, uh, 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 that we know the, the details of it or he would have allowed us to know. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he doesn't want us to go down that road. But anyway, no one really knows, and there's a lot of debate about what it means. But the bottom line is that Pharaoh is giving him a new name, and he also gives him a wife. Uh, and this is uh, a Zenith, becomes his new wife, uh, the daughter of, um, of uh, one of the priests there. In, in Egypt. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So got me a signet ring, got got Pharaoh's approval that everybody needs to listen to what I say, got me a new wife that comes from one of the priests here in Egypt, and, uh, and, and I'm now sitting in a place of power preparing Egypt for the oncoming famine uh, with the game plan. So look at 46. Joseph is maturing. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the surface the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt, 47. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly 
And he gathered up all the food of those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put every city uh, food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea. How about that one? Until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. What does that sound like? Does that ring a bell at all? That sounds an awful lot like God talking to Abraham, doesn't it? Your descendants will be more than the grains of sand on the sea. You'll have so many descendants, it won't even be able to be measured. It's more than you can even see. And here is Moses talking about Joseph, saying that Joseph was storing up grain in such abundance, it was like the sand of the sea, and he finally stopped measuring it because it could not be measured. God was delivering the abundance to a place that couldn't even be measured. So now the power of the throne is at his disposal, and, and, and he got to the point where he has the crown. I mean, he has the power of the crown. But here's where we seem to always be in error. C.S. Lewis talks about this. Scripture talks about this. We look at the life of Christ. We look at the call on our life, and we see the final reward. And that's great. That's what should drive us. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But where we mess up is we want that crown, but we want no part of the cross. We want the crown without the cross. I want to be where Joseph is, but I don't want to be sold into slavery. I don't want to be accused of something I didn't do. I don't want to be thrown in jail, and I certainly don't want to be left there longer than I thought I should have been left there. I don't want any part of that. I just want to have the power. I want the crown. And Jesus says, well, if you want the crown, pick up the cross. And what we do is say, pass on the cross. Just want the crown. Well, it didn't work that way, men. It just don't work that way because of our sin. Our redemption was ugly. And when you look at what our our Lord and Savior had to endure, it tells you how serious God takes sin and also tells you how much he hates it. It's ugly, and it's offensive to a holy God, and we should take it so serious. And because of our sinfulness, sometimes to clean us up, it's going to take refinement. And you're going to have to have the cross if you're ever going to see the crown. So when you see Joseph, see, now we're all, this is the way we like the movie. Hey, this is, this is looking good. But see how quickly we forget what he had to go through to get there? And if he didn't go through what he went through, God wouldn't have him in a position where he can actually handle this authority. I'm going to tell you something. The, the, the suffering that God has allowed me to go through is the only thing that's made me worth anything to the kingdom. I don't even talk the same way. Y'all have heard me say this before, and we've heard young teachers and men and women who have so much potential for the kingdom, so many gifts, so many talents. And I can't tell you the times that we've heard them early on in their teaching, and Sherry will nudge me and whisper, He's really going to be something once he suffers. Because you can't hear the tone yet. It's not there. You can tell they haven't suffered. But it's coming. There's just a tone that comes with it. There's a freedom that comes with it. There's a maturation that comes with it. There's not quite like anything else. And it, it makes us uncomfortable. But it pays. It always pays. So 50 through 52, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Look at this. Uh, His wife, uh, the daughter of the priest, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn. Here comes a name you recognize, Manasseh. Manasseh is first son, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship." And all my father's house. What a beautiful name. This this birth of this son from his wife and God delivering him from all his despair. He said, as I sit here and I hold this baby boy, this wonderful blessing from God, which does happen. God's so good right now, I don't even remember my hardships. 
what it took to get here. I don't remember the way my family, my brothers treated me right now. All I know is the goodness of God right now. Ever been there? You've been through a lot, but then when he starts showing that mercy and starts blessing, you're like, your blessings are so incredible. I don't even remember what you had to put me through to get here. And then, of course, she gives him another son. Uh, and uh, the name of the second child was Ephraim. And he said, and the reason why I name him Ephraim is for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Mm. Made me fruitful in my days of affliction. Made me fruitful in what? Affliction. Has your affliction been fruitful for God? Kind of goes back, I mentioned Rich Wingo. Y'all have heard me mention this so many times, but it fits so well with this Ephraim name right now. When Rich Wingo, my dear friend, who has had a difficult life himself, when he was out of a job during 2008's crash, and he'd had a stroke and a lot of the hardships that he had to go through with maybe even thinking he was losing his memory and that, that some stuff was going to start that was going to be very difficult. And he was in affliction. And and him him asking me to pray with him and me wanting to pray for him to be delivered quickly and immediately. But his spiritual maturity said the right thing, don't pray that. Pray that God holds me in this affliction until it's fruitful. And I don't want to be released until I learn everything that God is teaching through my affliction. Don't pray for it to be done quickly. Pray that everything that needs to be accomplished and it will be accomplished, that I'll never have to learn this again. Amen? So Ephraim says, I was fruitful in my time of affliction. And after Ephraim was born, uh, now comes uh, now comes famine. It's 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. Underline that. I know y'all don't like this takeaway, but underline it. Sometimes at your highest moments, famine will follow you, you, you can come out of a famine, go into a time of plenty, and then right back into another famine. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread because they prepared. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, what did he say? Go see Joseph. He prepared us for this. Do people say that about you? When people go to others and say, I'm struggling, I'm in a place, I don't know the answers. Have you lived your life as such a man or woman of God, for those of you that may be watching, are you so ingrained and so in sync with the one and only living God when somebody says, I'm struggling, I don't have the answers, I don't know where to go, do people say, go see Rick, go see Benny, go see Tom, go see Steve, go see Jeff. Go see Bubba. Go see Jeff. Go see him. Or would they not even have you on the list of someone who having the answers? Let's live our lives in a way that when people are hurting, others tell them to come see us. Because you know what we'll say? We'll point you to the one who has the answers. Amen? Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. <laughs> do whatever he says. So when the famine had spread over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sowed to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe, as God said it would be, in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Guess who's going to be coming to see him? Why? Because it was so severe 
Everybody had to come look for him. You see how what God knows what he's doing? Don't you ever think that God doesn't know what he's doing? I don't want a severe famine. You don't either. But if it wasn't severe, then these brothers never have to come see him. Guess who's coming to see Joseph? And we will pick that up when we get back together. Do you have those answers from God? Have you stored up everything that God provides so in the time of famine you have the answers? If, if you don't have the answers and I don't have the answers, then it's on us because he has absolutely provided them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible historical reminder of who you are. And we are so thankful that you have not given up on us. We're so thankful that any tribulation that we're going through is allowed by you to teach us to be ready, to refine us into something that only you can make us, even through our afflictions. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.